Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson. Welcome to The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me each week on The Crime Couch for a rollicking, intriguing tale. It'll be one heck of a journey. Around 12% of Australians will experience post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, in their lifetime. PTSD is a group of symptoms you suffer after you experience something traumatic. PTSD is more common among groups such as emergency service workers and, of course, police officers. When you look at a typical day for a police officer, they're dealing with horrific scenes, violent crimes and the worst possible accidents. Well, imagine what members in crime squads are exposed to. Former Detective Inspector Ken Ashworth knows. He's had a highly successful and prestigious career working in the armed robbery and homicide squads. He was in the Piranha Task Force and investigated organised crime on the waterfront and in South America. He's also spent many years wrestling with PTSD and is courageous enough to discuss this with me today. Hi Ken, thanks for sitting with me on the Crime Couch again. Uh, Let's talk about PTSD. When did you first experience PTSD? Thanks, Rochelle. Um, that's that's a hard question to answer, that one. It's not uh, something you can put your finger on with an exact date. Um, it's been described to me as if you imagine a glass and every major incident or a traumatic experience you go through, there's a drop goes into that glass and eventually it fills up and then flows over where you can't handle things the way you're used to. Um, you're just not feeling right. You're not performing properly and it just plagues your your whole life I think it's in my case like after 40 it's now 45 years since I first joined I still remember my first dead body and it was a poor old fellow who had been dead for a couple of weeks and he was bloated and you never forget the scene and the the smell the stench and things like that Um, so it sort of starts there and I remember going to a fatal car accident I was working the Collingwood Divi van one morning on the the eastern freeway and the poor fellow had a heart attack and run off and hit the concrete stanchions, holding up the lights. And to this day, even having worked in homicide, I've never seen such a mangled body. And I still remember that. Mm. So I guess that's where it all starts um, you know, building up on you. Mm. Um, yeah. Also, there was a nasty accident again when I was a constable at Collingwood. Went to two young kids were killed on the uh, Swan Street Bridge. Their car was T-boned. I don't know if you remember. They used to have traffic lights above, not facing. Mm-hmm. And the grandmother had didn't read it right and went through and got T-boned by the truck. Mm-hmm. That was pretty traumatic. Um, so can you tell me what did you experience when you did start to experience what you now know is PTSD, Ken? Um, it's the, the sleep patterns are all distorted you wake up and, and for some reason it's always three o'clock in the morning when the demons come usually between three and four um you recall incidents um it's not like you debrief but you think could i have done something differently or or whatever um you have the anxiety 
that's probably the worst part and, and the constant feeling that something bad is about to happen or go down. Mm. Um, and in between the anxiety, you get the depression. So it's, a, it's just like wrestling with the black dogs and the demons that you have to do. How did it show up in your life, Ken? Um, I think it manifested strongly uh, and I recognised it my first time around working at the armed robbery squad. Um, we were chasing a couple of crooks in a, in a stolen car and we were involved in a, in a pretty nasty accident and I was off work for a while. Had broken shoulder and broken upper, upper arm. Um, so that played, played on my mind a fair bit. Uh, at that time I had a young family and I was just wondering how my policing life was affecting them as well and bits and pieces. Um, there's a couple of incidents. It's just day-to-day policing um, builds up on you, you know, from attending, you know, suicides and people hanging themselves and shooting themselves in the head and that, um, yeah, sleep's the main thing. You just you just don't sleep. You can get to sleep usually because you've had too much to drink, but you don't have a prolonged, lasting sleep. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with it when these sorts of you know, like the the lack of sleep and the anxiety and the depression, when those things hit you, how do you deal with it now? Now, I, uh, exercise is a, is a great regime. Every day I try to do something, whether I'm out on my bike or one of my bikes, or <clears throat> pardon me, or um walking i've got set tracks around where i live mm-hmm. so um exercise is the main thing i get out of bed and that's the first thing i do which takes me through to around about lunchtime mm-hmm. um and work in my garden you know um there's always something to do around the house so i keep myself occupied um being out of the policing environment it gets a little bit easier as time time goes on but you you never you never truly forget everything mm-hmm. you know i still have dreams where i wake up in fights um the constant reoccurring one is that you're always fighting a crook somewhere um and then the other ones you're in a in a gunfight and your weapon malfunctions mm. um and you wake up and there's times where i've actually woken up on the floor jumped out you know bed that's how bad they get mm. yeah. how did you deal with it like we talk now about your coping mechanisms but how did you deal with it ken uh drank too much that was basically it um you know, but I joined the job in the seventies, and of course, back then when you went to major incidents, and after every shift, you'd always go out on the grog um, with whoever you're working with, or the rest of the team. Mm. And of course, you always drank to excess, and yeah, any chance you could. That was that was the big culture in it. But nobody ever shared their you know concerns or their demons. It was always something talked about, and not talked about. But other things were discussed mm. rather than you know how you're actually truly feeling. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's still the situation now that members don't feel comfortable when they're speaking, when they're experiencing these things? It's ironic, isn't it? Because you're all experiencing it together and you're experiencing the same horrific incidents and having to deal with it. But I suppose not every member suffers from it. No, not everybody does. Um, You know, coppers are just humans like everybody else Um, and different things affect people differently. Mm. Um, you become a bit cold to certain things where you know other people uh, are um, shocked and but it sort of washes over you but there's other things that you deal with or you see that other other people don't mm. Um, mm. yeah so back in the day you, you, know, you would be seen as weak if you if you said oh look I'm not feeling well here I don't um, 
you know, I'm just not feeling well, you know, I'm feeling anxious and stuff like that, you know, yeah. harden up was the, the usual term, you know, you'll get over it and bits and pieces, you know, and if you're only exposed a few times, you, you, you probably will. But when you think of, you know, you're in the job 10, 15, 20, 30 years or more, I can't see how you couldn't suffer some form of PTSD if you're an operational member faced with all those things that you're confronted with. You know, uh, uniform work, you're you're getting called to the suicides, the car accidents, the people that jump out in front of trains. Now, they're horrendous scenes, you know, and you've got to go through the motions of what you've got to go through, the investigation. And the same in the CIB. Um, you're going to suspect uh, uh, murders and working at armed robbery and homicide. You know, the stresses there were um, pretty high because particularly um, robbers doing raids and things like that. Well, we had members shot, of course. Um, I did a... I was a sergeant at a uh, plain clothes unit and we did a raid in uh, Auburn Road, Hawthorne. And look, we ended up fighting with a crook in the front hallway and he's grabbed one of the member's guns and that's gone off and it's whizzed past my ear Jeez. and hit the member behind me. And to this day, I can still hear the whir past my ear, hear the thud when it hit his chest and then the groaning, you know. Um, and that's played on my mind a lot because I often think, what could I have done to prevent that situation? I should have done more and bits and pieces like that. So you get a bit of a guilt feeling on some incidents. Mm. So, yeah, and the, just planning raids, I was always, you know, what if we're confronted with this again? You know, it's always in the back of your mind. Mm. Like over my period in the job, I was involved in seven different police shootings. Um, I think the four were fatalities. And I pulled the trigger in, in two separate incidents so you know and you, that plays on your mind mm. you know of course yeah and one op operation we we did the sog actually um shot and killed the two offenders but the brother of one of the offenders i had to see on a regular basis because he worked in a shop mm. where uh, i'd go to every saturday so um he knew who i was and vice versa yeah. so it was never a pleasant experience well, that would not only, you know, make you remember and make you recall exactly what had occurred, but it would trigger you to some extent. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And one of the things is you've got to look out for is, is what causes the triggers. And for years, um, going into supermarkets, um, going into banks, for obvious reasons, um, always made me feel nervous and anxious. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you, the best thing that ever happened to me was going to see my GP and um, he was always concerned about me and I was lucky because my GP is, was a former police surgeon so he knows what the job's all about and what's involved in it and he would often say to me he says you, you shouldn't be on the front line for as, so long as what you are you shouldn't be doing what you're doing really yeah yeah he's always concerned and I'd say yeah I'm no it's all right I'm fine with it I'm fine with it until enough was enough and I went and saw him and he put me straight off work straight away and he mm. said you'll never go back and he referred me off so what triggers you now like you know are there certain things that you can't look at, or as you said, a lot of a lot of police members are like this, and and whether they're ex or whether they're you know they're currently still in the job, they come across as being you know Teflon and and nothing sticks, but then something will hit them, and it, does that happen with you, Ken? Are certain things that you can't look at or can't experience because of that? Um, 
I choose not to look at a lot of police things anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had an interest when something came on the TV or was in the newspapers. I couldn't read it or view it quick enough, but now I sort of shy away from it. Mm. Um, I was uh, inspector in charge of the task force down at Churchill, the fires on mm-hmm. Black Saturday. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, we were down there for about three months um, and I think they took a fair toll on me that I didn't realise until later. Mm. You know, It was a good result for the people down there. We charged and convicted the, the crook. Mm. But, um, yeah, 13 lives attributed to him. Mm. How would you sort of um, describe PTSD? It's a shocking thing. Um, you have good days and you have bad days. Fortunately, I'm getting my, more good days than I do bad days. Um, your anxiety is the killer. It's just, and you don't know why, and you feel like your heart's going to beat out of your chest, and you think, why am I feeling like this? You know, um, there's no reason, there's no cause for it, but it, it happens. And then the lack of sleep's shocking, and, and if you're not sleeping, you're just going to feel like crap for the rest of the day. Mm. Throw in the anxiety, and if you get over the anxiety, then you get the depression that comes in, mm. and you're thinking, you know, and you get some pretty dark thoughts, you know, and you just want the pain to stop. Mm. You can see why police members self-medicate with alcohol or whatever they do. Um, you know, how do cops usually deal with this? Because I've heard also, it fair, you know, disparagingly called white noise. You know, do police members acknowledge this now? Uh, more so nowadays than when my early days and, and, and midterm in the job. Um, I think it's recognised. It's spoken about more freely. Um, the department police force uh, instigated some some changes over the years towards my later part of the year psychologists and that so I think everybody's debriefed after a major incident but that might be fine but it's ongoing it's cumulative sort of sort of Mm. effect the best thing that happened to me was when my GP referred me off I went and saw a, um, a psychologist a part of the Phoenix group now they deal with uh, ADF members and, and police. Hmm. And that was the best thing that happened. Um, I'd see him on a weekly basis, and that went on for, for months. And we'd go through all, the, all these different incidents and talk about it in bits and pieces. And we'd go out into the street, and he'd walk me through banks and supermarkets and work out a tactic to deal with these sorts of things. And hmm. uh, for a short time, I was seeing a psychiatrist, and I was on some medication. Now, now off that. Um, and then I went and did a course at uh, the Melbourne Clinic. It's called the STAR course, and it's for emergency service workers. And that was from February to May, I think, in 2019. And that was good. There was other busted coppers there as well as fireys, um, and everybody shared their experiences. And you realise, you know, you're not alone. Mm. And you go through uh, what triggers you and how to, to deal with it, what to look out for and you learn, you learn to manage it, um, and that was invaluable in the end. Yeah. Why did you decide to speak to me about this today, Ken? Because um, you've got a great reputation in the job, and you're known as being one of the hard men, and and you've got a, a, a status and a reputation. How important is it for you to speak about this openly, and for for you to hear and other members to hear what you've gone through? Um, like I said before, you, know, you, you realise you're not alone and, it, and it's a true true condition. Um, there are 
are changes that occur in your brain. Um, there's a technical term for it, I can't remember now, but we looked at that at, at the course. And it's important to speak about it because um, I've seen too many members suicide, you know, and it's PTSD is, is what gets them, you know, and still um, the bravado that gets put up, uh, you know, uh, they don't want to talk about it, that's branded a wimp and weak and things like that, which they're not, they're only human, you know, like, like everybody else. So, you know, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. You know, like I chose to work where I worked and I loved it, but it took, took a toll. And I think that's right. It, it makes sense that police officers, irrespective of their training, would suffer from what they see and, and, and what they do. Um, how, how do members now who've been diagnosed with PTSD, how are they dealt with by command and how were they in the past? Uh, well, in the past, you know, don't think command had too much to do with them. I think uh, Graham Ashton started to make more of an awareness when he was the chief commissioner. Um, I know there's a psychology unit and that, but I, I don't think to this day the follow-up is is to the state where it should be. Mm. I, I I just feel I don't want to sound cynical, but I think it's a tick tick the box thing. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt Vic Pol are very um, risk adverse, and they're risk adverse on everything. So I think. They'd probably be scared of being sued mm-hmm. a lot um, for various reasons. Um, I don't know the legalities of it or anything like that. I'm not interested in suing Big Bowl. But, um, yeah, I, I just think it's their risk adverse that they don't get right down into it. Police are trained to take control in every incident they have to deal with and they're assigned to deal with. How difficult is it to admit that at times your life can or is out of control? Oh, very difficult. Yeah, very difficult. Yeah, and, and the more you keep it in, the worse it becomes, and I think that just feeds the anxiety. Um, yeah, you just just have to deal with it. These days I manage it. You know, you, you truly never get over it. Mm. It'll always be there, you know, and something will manifest it, and off you go. It manifests in, in, in your mind. Mm. Um, and a lot of the time you look back and you go, it's unreasonable. These are unreasonable thoughts. Yeah, why, why am I thinking this? Or illogical. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. How do you know, Ken, if you've got PTSD? How do you know that? Oh, you'll know all right because you'll keep remembering things and you'll get the flashbacks and you won't be sleeping and you'll get the anxiety um, and you'll probably turn to too much drink. So it, it, it's a matter of self-denial mm. for, for some people. You know, they'll have it, but they won't want to admit it because they'll be branded a wimp or seen as, as being weak. You know, mm. you know, it's like it's you, you can see a physical injury and you can understand it. Somebody's got a broken arm, they're in a sling or something like that, but you can't see a mental injury yeah, until so. sometimes it's too late. Um, yeah, and you, in the old days, some people would go off. And we used to call it, oh, they've, they've chucked a wobbly and off they're gone. You know, but the reality is, if if there'd been some help someone identified it before it got to that stage you could have saved that person Mm. yeah what advice would you give to any police officer serving or not that is suffering from these sorts of symptoms what what would you be telling them to do go and see your gp get it recorded take time off work it's clearly a work cover issue and get a referral to a psychologist Mm. that that's that was the best thing i ever ever did was the psychologist can't thank him enough I was, that's my next question. Does counselling help? Absolutely, 100%. 100%. You face those demons again 
and again and again till all of a sudden the impact isn't as strong as what it used to be which led to your anxiety and your depression and your over drinking and things like that mm. and that's how you start to manage and deal with things do you ever recover from ptsd no i don't think so you just learn to live with it and manage it that's that's the reality of it and why do you think it's important to talk about this publicly ken um, as I say, if it happens to me, it can happen to anybody. Um, as I say, I chose to work where I worked and I loved it. But you've got to face face facts. It it, uh, it takes a toll. Now, it's it's just the reality of being exposed to all those things all the time. You you, you get to that breaking point. Don't uh, don't shy away from it. You're not you're not less of a person. Mm. You know, as I said, you know, if you've got a physical injury, people can see it and accept it. Mm. But when it's mental, it's, it's, it's a different thing. And it affects, you know, your family, your friends, your, you know, your behaviours. You, you become short, you know. I guess that's the lack of sleep and yeah, paranoid. Mm. Like, like the coppers, they always go into some place and they'll, they'll take the seat that faces the doors and the windows so you can see the bad guys coming and going. You walk into a restaurant, you scan it, you know, who do I know here? Who's a crook? Who looks shifty? You know, making all those judgments all the time. Mm. Normal people don't think that way, you know, but coppers do. And it just becomes intrinsic in your lifestyle, you know. <laughs> but it's also, I think, as a result of the the things and the people you've got to deal with. Not a lot of people that work in average sort of uh, public servant jobs would have to deal with the sorts of people that you people have to and police members have to. So I can understand why members have to think like that. A lot of it is about self-protection, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And this, this comes with the anxiety. You think something bad is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Like you sit there in a restaurant and you're having dinner or whatever it might be. You know, most people are engaged face-to-face and that, but not the copper. You know, he'll be looking around, checking everybody out, looking over your shoulder and things like that. It's mm-hmm. just that, you know, you, you're always expecting something bad to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, whether you be on duty, off duty. Well, look, Ken, I know um, it's taken a lot of courage and I know you do it with a great amount of aplomb and uh, grace and it's not easy to talk about these things. It's far easier just to um, pump up and keep telling the war stories. So, look, thank you very much for being courageous and and I hope uh, today's podcast really helps people that are suffering from these sorts of uh, conditions. And, uh, yeah, I... I think you've uh, done a very brave thing speaking out today. Thanks, Ken. Pleasure, Rochelle. And the last word is, you know, help is out there and uh, go and get it. Go and get it. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Patch.